The Eufy Video Lock takes the place of separate smart locks, security cameras, and doorbells all in one simple to install unit. A Phillips screwdriver was all I needed. The Eufy 330 Video Lock took me 20 minutes to install and there is no hard wiring necessary as it's powered by a 4-month rechargeable 10,000 mAh battery. The Eufy Video Locks are complete with fingerprint technology, passcode entry, physical keys, and free local storage for crystal clear 2K video. There is absolutely no contract nor the need for costly monthly monitoring subscriptions. The free Wi-Fi driven iOS and Android compatible apps let you have full control over your new Eufy video lock system in just a few clicks. Convenience and security are extremely important and the Eufy video lock delivers on both. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y, video lock. Because as the host of Uncomfortable Podcast, you just never know who or what will wind up at your front door. Visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock and get yours now. That's eufy, E-U-F-Y. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. If they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth to be able to speak in people's languages and at that point it kind of converge into this one entity which will be revealed as extraterrestrial you'll realize that aliens are the gods of old and at that point it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. enthusiast, a 
Michigan resident and a Bigfoot researcher in the state of Michigan. Now, he reached out to me, said that this gentleman would make for a good interview. Um, he facilitated a introduction to me, and uh, we had a good chat the other day. He agreed to come on the show and tell us about his experiences and, and what he's found to be pertinent information regarding the existence of these beings. So if you will, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Tim. Tim, welcome to Uncomfortable. Hello, Eric. Good talking to you. Good talking uh, to yeah, you, sir. I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, we've had a good conversation already. Um, I, I'm interested to be on the show. I guess I have some things to share. I've lived in Michigan most of my life. Uh, I spend much of my time in the Northwoods. I have a, a beautiful place up in the Huron National Forest on the eastern side of the Lower Peninsula. Beautiful and, area. Beautiful area. It is. It's wild. Uh, very few good restaurants to be found, but there's a lot of wilderness, a lot of country, and beautiful rivers and lakes. And I'm a I love the wilderness. I spend a lot of my time out in the wilderness. I'm usually looking for uh, the remnants of the logging industry in Michigan. I'm a historian on that subject. I supply a lot of things to the local museums that I discover and find. I'm always looking for artifacts from that time. But yeah. I, I come across other things, too. And uh, that that's also of interest to me. Um, I've been running through the woods my whole life. I've seen big footprints my whole life. I've heard talking and uh, sounds of howls and whistles and wood knocks, but I didn't really give it much thought. Uh, whenever I caught a glimpse of the thing making the noise, it seemed to be moving way too fast for me to catch it. And so I just kind of let it go. And then maybe a couple of years ago in April, I was maybe in a spot I shouldn't have been in and I got chased out. Um, they had a family in this area, uh, a big, a big dark haired fella who had a lot to say, drove me out of that place. And I wasn't quite sure if I was going to get out really? without him getting me. What, uh, what, can you be a little more, uh, can you be a little more descriptive as, as far as what, uh, what you were encountering, encountering, um, with his presence yeah. there? Yeah, I was, I was really looking for something that didn't have to do with Bigfoot. And I had, it was in April, early April, 2020. And, and I've seen the footprints all my life. I've Things I pick up from them. I got hair samples and all kinds of crazy stuff. But I was uh, going into this part of the swamp, a thicket that really it's hard to walk in. You sh nobody goes in there. And it was, it'd been real cold at night, maybe in the 20s. And back where I started, four miles away, there were some 
like adolescent Bigfoot tracks in the mud. Like, yeah, that's Bigfoot. No kid is playing in 28 degree mud right. at night. You know, so I, I'm just going about my business and I step on the bank of this beaver pond. It's the only thing you could walk on back there. And I'm just trying to get through this hard scrabble. And I look down and I see that kid's track right in front of me. Like, and it's fresh. Like, oh, oh no. I'm, oh, you know, I, I knew they, I know they live in this area. I never really go by myself. I was just totally not thinking. And in about two minutes from across this really small beaver pond, there's a big dark haired fella standing behind a cedar tree making some loud screams. I'm like, oh, that's uh, that must be the daddy or the sentinel or something. I have got to get out of here. Can uh, you hair on the back of my neck stood up? Can, and, can uh, you can you take a guess as to the, the size of the track that you had been looking at? I, I did measure it. I took pictures of it before. It's a, it was just a twelve inch long track, about four and a half inches wide. It was a, it was a kid. Yeah. The, the big, the bigger ones are, the tracks are more like fourteen inches or eighteen inches. I guarantee you, the one that was yelling at me probably had an eighteen inch track. Um, so he got his message across to me, and I had to go down this beaver pond edge along the top of it because I couldn't get into the woods anywhere else. It was such a thicket, and I'm sure that really got him because it meant I wasn't going away from him. I was kind of going along next to him. But when I got to the point where I could get off the beaver pond rim and I went into the thicket, the trees grow about six inches apart. You can barely get through. And he was behind me. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to walk like a predator. Predator always walks straight to what they want. I want him to know I'm a predator. I'm not a prey animal. I'm not going to zigzag through this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to head in this, this direction I chose to get to a river. And it's, it's early April. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have to get in that river. I cannot be in this thicket with this guy. He got me and, uh, he can, he can go, they go fast and he can be right on me. I did have a sidearm, but I never drew it. I didn't think I'd have time to fire at him. It was so thick. And if I did, I get two shots or something. I needed more for this guy. And I don't, I don't really like pulling guns on, you know, two legged critters. He looked like a person. So I just kept moving and I got to the river, and I was going to jump in. The water must be about 48 degrees or 45 degrees, but it would give me some space. But I didn't have to do that. I kind of just went along the edge, and I was pretty conscious of the fact that there was someone behind me. And it took me a couple hours to get out of there, and I'm sure about half of the time that fellow was behind me. Do you have a, can you, can you guess to how far of a, a girth he was giving you? Probably in the thickets, he probably gave me about a hundred feet. But when I got kind of more to the clearing, I think he knew I was gone. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to mess with him. Um, so I think that's, I think they're usually afraid of us, but in that instance, he was, 
he was quite upset with me. So his fear diminished and his anger just came up. And he, yeah, so I, I had to like think differently about these these fellows that live in the woods and uh, be a little more careful. Well, if, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, it sounds like you uh, you had a, a, a relatively uh, clear eye shot at at this this big guy. Yeah. Um, can you can you go into some of the uh, descriptions of um, of what you saw? He was just big and you know maybe seven and a half feet tall, maybe a little bit taller. Um, I'd seen him before. I did see him later after that, but um, you, you saw uh, he him. wasn't chasing me. He wasn't chasing me. You saw um, him uh, again at another time. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I did. I saw him again about a year later, but he wasn't after me. Um, but he he was, you know, he's a pretty pretty hairy, dark. This one had dark hair. They don't all have dark hair. Um, he was broad. And he, you know, maybe he, maybe he kind of thought I had a gun. I don't know because he didn't really jump out from behind the tree right away. Not till I got going. He he got going, and he did keep like a hundred feet distance between us. Were you but able? Maybe to, he's followed me before. Were you able to get a, a good look at at the uh, the facial area? Uh, pretty hairy face. Pretty hairy. Um, I only looked for a second because I really, I kind of knew, I knew what he was and who he was. And, um, it was, time was of the essence. And, and there's something that, you know, and, and I've, I've gleaned this from, from talking to other people who have had, uh, um, pretty up close encounters. There seems to be a, a natural reaction in, in the human body, which is to, um, avoid making eye contact with them for too long. Uh, right. Yeah, I have before. I've made eye contact with them before at other times, but not, I didn't really have time. I saw where he was. I saw him. It's like, I'm gone. His, his howls were fantastic. Just went right through you. Like, man, they've got lung capacity. And, uh, yeah, it's, oh, I've, yeah, I, I was out of there and I was okay, but I didn't think about him the same after that. What uh, what color? Until you have an experience, you know. What what color of skin did he have? He just was dark. It was dark. dark. It wasn't a sunny day in April. It was very overcast. It was real dark, and so a lot of shadows it, at play. Yeah, a lot of shadows. It was real thick and brushy, but I could see right when I heard that howl. I looked at, I saw where it came from. It came from him standing behind a, at the edge of a cedar tree. So I, you know, I recently went back out there after two years. I didn't go out there and I took, I took my brother with me and I looked that spot over and like, I still don't feel good out there. I still feel like, okay, I, I pushed it. I should have been more observant. Do you think that's a, do you think that's a residual from, from your last experience with it? Or do you think that that's a, something that's permeating that area because, um, there's, they're still aware of your presence there and are kind of letting you know that they know you're there. Yeah. I think, I think that time 
they had moved out of the area. Okay. Um, there's a couple things that they don't like. Uh, one of them is like me going in to the area or me taking people in there. Uh, they don't like that. And then there was some timber operations uh, up on a ridge about a mile away. And when that happens, they they move. They have a lot of choices. They don't have to stay in, in an area with that. Now, can we uh, can we talk about a generalized area of where this encounter happened? Well, it, well, this kind of thing goes on along the Manistee, the Pine River, the Rifle River. This was the the Asable River. Um, they they show up in about late February, early March to the area, and they leave in late December after after rifle season's over. They'll leave then. So they, I think they love the climate. They love the water. They seem to be in the water a lot from tracks I see going down to the water at night. Um, they like the temperature. The ground along these rivers, along the Manistee or the Pine or whatever river, put your hand on it, that ground's about 52 degrees right along there um, from the springs. Mm-hmm. So they really like it for that and there's not many not many bugs uh, so i think that's what attracts them to it now you seem to indicate that uh you think that they they move in and at a specific time of the year and then they do. again move out um what what's brought you to that conclusion just a uh, lack think, a lack of seeing their presence or is yeah, there, there other indications as well it's kind of a lack of activity there's, there'll be no, uh, the fresh tracks are gone. Um, little bits of deer that you would normally find are gone. There's just nothing happening. But they, you know, they're, they're yeah, they, I think they go south. If they use the power lines or the rail, railroad beds and the railroad lines. And, you know, if you ever saw one move, they go real fast. I don't think it takes them long yeah. to cover a big distance of land great distance i should say yeah it, that's that's something because you know there's been there's been several videos um out from i think they're you know like utah montana and stuff like that where people have videotaped um i think there's even one off of uh one of the glaciers in uh in one of the uh um, parts of canada where somebody is, you know, up on a hill and, and looking out across the vastness and um, they start videotaping and, and it's far enough where, you know, their Zoom can't even really get to it. But whatever this solitary individual that seems to be moving across the uh, um, the plains or the glacier, whatever it may be, um, on two legs, um, covers an inordinate amount of ground oh, yeah. very quickly and and very fluidly mm-hmm. yep so people think they dig a hole in the ground and live here in the winter nah they can cover so much ground and their routes of travel are are well defined they mark all these routes i i thought that might just be something they do in the here national forest but then uh, the summer I was on Lake Michigan in southern Michigan, and sure enough, they mark they mark their trails there too. What it's do the you what are you observe What are you observing that uh, you're you're saying the trails are marked? 
they 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 blaze the trail. They put a blaze mark on it, on especially an electrical pole. They love to mark electrical poles, and they use those electrical lines, especially if there's nobody around. There's no houses mm-hmm. or civilization. They'll run those those lines for miles. They'll take them where they need to go. But the marks, they're from an individual. Now, what's a so, blaze? You're using the term blazing the trail. So describe for the audience what that is. Well, the old, the old, the old saying was, I'm going to blaze a trail. Well, in, for, for the settlers or even the Indians, they would knock a mark into a tree or, or break a limb. Uh-huh. They, they'd leave a sign that they were there. And then they would use it over and over again. So we, our, our local, our local wood apes use their fingernails and they're quite powerful. They can, they can tear a tree in half. They can tear an electrical ball in half by making, by using their fingernails. So they leave those. I've, I told a few people about it recently and they started looking around and saying, sure enough, there's marks on, on electrical poles. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting you say that because uh, some of the individuals that I was with at uh, the West Branch conference earlier this uh, spring, um, they did a camp out afterwards. Uh, I was not able to attend it, but in photographs from from that camp out, they went and did some investigations while they were in the area, and they sure enough they had photographs of a a telephone pole that that had some very distinctive uh, gouges at a, at a height that would make you wonder how, how or why anybody uh, our size yeah, uh, would would have been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And who would look at it? Mm -hmm. We're only like six feet tall. Uh, Something makes an arc 12 feet tall. It's not for us. Yeah. It's for them. So they, I, I see that when I travel through the woods. I see marks on trees, marks uh, on poles. Uh, in my area, they like to use a white rock. You'll find white rocks placed. And, you know, you can kind of see them at night. So they, they really uh, mark the trails. I think they're quite social and go from one nest to another so i a nest i just i say it's a nest it's not like a bird's nest it's a big swath of country where they raise the the young Mm -hmm. and they're protective of it and they mark all that and i think they have it marked so the young ones can go play and find their way back home something like that i just know i see young Bigfoot tracks all by themselves. Now, in your in your in your outings and your uh, while you're looking around for all this uh, these different things, are you are you running into what a lot of people consider to be uh, structures? You know, TP like things, arched uh, um, arched saplings, um, you know, rock yep. pilings, anything like that. Are you running into any of those? Yeah, I do run into bent trees, and they mean something. They point to things. They point to geographical features. I, I see them, and I go, oh, I know where that's pointing. It's pointing to a natural ford in the river, so they can cross the river without getting real wet. 
Hmm. You think they just go barreling through the river? Not not always. When it's cold out, they don't want to get that, that wet. Yeah. They cross bridges over creeks. They make bridges over creeks. Really? And, yeah, they make bridges, and you, you wonder, like, uh, who made that bridge? Because I can't get across on that bridge. But if you get on all fours, you can go across on all fours. It's really hard to do because we're not quite as strong as they are. Yeah. But they, they make them and they use them. Like, man, they just don't want to get mucky. It's sort of funny. That's interesting. Yeah, they have their, their little places they like to go. And um, I, I find bones. I found I find broken deer bones. They suck they suck the marrow out of the bone. It's kind of a sign they've been there. I got a question for you, and I I may have brought this up in another episode, um, but I had a friend of mine whose uh, parents owned a, a hunting hunting lodge up in the western UP, and uh, right about smack dab in the middle of the western side of the Upper Peninsula. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. Um, he had we had gone fishing one day, and he said, "Hey, let's take a let's take a drive out to my my grandpa's old property, and there's something cool I want to show you." So he took me out there, and I don't know. It was maybe a 35, 40 minute drive from where we were staying, and uh, we walked through I don't know a couple acres um, of of farmland and some wooded area and we got back into this uh this one patch that looked like it had been uh farmed at one point but had not been uh had been neglected for for several years so you could still see the 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 90 degree angles from like where it would have been farmed but everything was growing up over it and there was uh there were swaths of trees that were running you know like kind of separating the acreage and uh he said he was going to take me to the dying field and i was like well, what the hell is a dying field and he said you're not going to believe this when you see it he says there's just a ton of deer just they go there to die and there's piles of bones and you know i mean at this point i'm he knows that he's been going there his whole life you know he knows what goes on up there and i know up in the upper peninsula that um the deer populations have have exploded to the point where a lot of them die of malnutrition and they can't survive the winters and stuff like that but it was just a very it was a you know we we got into this corner and it was a very very strange surreal sight and it was a pile of deer bones wow legs rib cages skulls um and you know i mean this is a guess but you know there had to be there had to be damn near in the neighborhood of somewhere between 50 and 70 maybe maybe not quite that many but Wow. You know, and it just, it was a very surreal looking thing. And, and, you know, the only thing that was in my brain at the time was what he had told me that, that the, the weak and the, the ill and the, the elderly, they come here and the, this is where they, 
they just say. <laughs> but, I mean, that doesn't make sense to me that they would just crawl up onto a pile of bones oh. and then die and then wither away and, and you know, yeah. become part of that. And I've, I've the, for years the femurs now. snapped? Were the femurs snapped? I, you know, I'd never and paid the marrow a, gone? I never paid attention to that. At that time... I mean, I was still steeped in, in Bigfoot and stuff like that, but it wasn't something that I was, you know, acute to looking at that that site that I was seeing. I was kind of taken back just by the the sheer amount of dead animal bones that were there. I, I wasn't looking to see if anything looked like they had been snapped or, or anything like that. I wasn't paying attention to it. Um, I was just trying to take it all in. You know, I don't even think... Um, at the time, Bigfoot never even entered my mind as far as being oh, impossible. Uh, yeah. You know, and it was that just be- just a very surreal thing. And, you know, I've talked to other hunters, and nobody's ever really said that they've heard of, you know, deer doing that, going, yeah. you know, to a, a common uh, common ground to uh, just, you know, pass away and yeah. die. You know, I mean, I know animals, when they're sick and, you know, they, they know the end is near, they they tend to go off on their own and you yeah. know find themselves someplace to to hunker down and uh you know you might have pass, to go back but, and you might have to examine those bones to see if the marrow has been sucked out of every you know that was fever. that was so many years ago and uh, unfortunately yeah. my buddy passed away some years back <sighs> from cancer and i you know even if i even if i could get into the area of it i don't know that i could find it yeah, I think I think from my looking around and ta- taking some of their paths to use, uh, they have marks that they put in trees 50 years ago that are still there. They use these areas over and over. They It's like uh, the generations uh, go to the same spots. But I did find a deer carcass of... Uh, Two winters, two springs ago, uh, right when they moved back into the area, kind of above where they have a nest up in the hills, there was a stump. And this is this is this is late February, early March. There's nobody in the woods. There's nobody hunting rabbits up there. There's nobody in the woods. Their GPS doesn't work on their phone. They're not going out there. So I'm hiking along. I've got probably a and a squirrel rifle from 1850 hmm. in my hand. Uh, you know, small caliber squirrel rifle, muzzle loader, original old gun. And I come up over this hill, and in front of me is a deer carcass. The rib cage, the spine going up to where the head, the head is, head skulls on it. The legs are ripped off, but it's posed on a stump. Oh, my. Sitting on a stump posed i never seen that in my life something posed some things have been sitting on the ground around it breaking the leg bones up and it just ate every bit of it i that i've never seen a person didn't do it uh, the ground was still kind of frozen um there was snow on the ground there were no there was spot spotty patches of snow i didn't see any real big tracks from like recent but something was in there, something sitting on the ground, and smashed all the snow down. But I didn't, you know, I didn't even know what to think about that. You know, like when you uh, see something like that, 
you know, obviously this is just a, your impression or an interpretation of what you're seeing. Yeah. But when you see something like that, is it your impression that 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 deer would have been dispatched by a single individual? Is that is that a you know is that a place where it sits down and and you know throughout the course of eats a day or thing. throughout the course of a day or two days eats the entire thing and moves on or when there's a kill like that does does the um, does the family unit move in and and yeah, it looked like it it looked like they'd been around it all that all that was all padded down around I didn't see I didn't see one good footprint because it probably happened a couple weeks before I got there but. Um, it looked like a whole bunch of them sat there and ate it. Like maybe the family that lives down the hill did that. But it was really kind of a symbol. It was like, it was posed. It was probably not meant for me. Yeah. It was meant for the rest of the family coming up or something. You know, we don't read their, we don't read their stuff right. We don't see it right. I mean, it's just not our language. Well, you know that that when you when you say that that kind of takes me to you know when when people have a hog roast, a lot of times the way the hog is laid out with the head displayed, yeah. and you know I mean with an apple in it or you know oh yeah, I mean that it's, it's that a presentation almost, that almost kind of makes sense that you know it would be you know because yeah. I, I you know for for anyone who's a hunter, you know, there's, there's the, uh, the exhaustive amount of effort that goes into, um, tracking something and, and the patience that it takes to uh, eventually get in the right position and dispatch that creature, um, so that they can, so that they can harvest it. And, you know, with many hunters that I know, you know, there's, there's a, there's a moment there that that they take and and they thank the creator and they uh, you know they thank the mother earth for for providing what she's given them and I almost wonder if that like what you walked up on is that a uh, a, a gift to the great god Manitoba yeah. I don't know like the like the Indians of the Algonquin speaking people that were here. Maybe the same. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they have a little left, little Algonquin they speak or um, something like that. Now you've said you've some heard traditions. you've heard the voices, right? I've heard some crazy voices. Yeah, I have. I have friends that hear, hear them better than I do. Um, they live in a spot where they their house is up above an area where they live, and they can hear them at night, going on and on. They say it sounds like Japanese, and sometimes they they even laugh. Hmm. Like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I've never heard that. I've never heard them laugh, but I've heard I've heard some talking, and I've heard some howl, some hoots, or like a whistle. Mm-hmm. So it's not a whistle. They're just doing. It's not really a whistle. And then I've heard the deep howls, and I've heard them. In a pack of coyotes, um, starting the pack to howling, and that's another thing that's very odd about our our local Bigfoot is that they have a symbiotic relationship with coyotes and crows. So sometimes when you hear a crow, it's calling out a warning. I think there's a connection. I think. 
I mean, um, I think hunters would tell you that uh, when a crow finds a deer in the woods that's dying, it calls that out because the crow can't eat the deer, but the coyotes can eat the deer, and the the crow calls the coyotes, and they they might come from five miles away, and they'll find that deer. The crow will lead them to it. And it's, it is a symbiotic relationship. The crow gets to pick up the pieces. Um, I found parts of deer dragged around by coyotes yeah. way off in the woods. And, it, you know, the coyote didn't break the leg in half. Right. But it's got a leg that's broken in half. Um, somehow it got it. Somehow it's, you know, it's kind of part of the biosphere pyramid here. So I've been hunting coyote, and I've had coyote packs come up to me at dark, but not. I'm not sure they're really coyotes. Maybe there's two coyotes and one of the hairy guys just uh, having some fun with me. So I'm not, I can't, like, say that's exactly what it is, but it's something quite strange. Do you think it's a, do you think it's more of a natural like you said, symbiotic relationship, or do you think that in some way that the the Sabe may have found a way to somewhat domesticate the coyote? Maybe, maybe through just feeding, feeding them. Um, you know, I, uh, an Indian would in the spring climb up in a tree where there was a crow's nest, get one of the baby crows take the crow back to their camp, feed the crow, and the crow stayed with them for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. The crow never left them. It never just flew away. Um, you know, it's just, I think it's something like that. Um, it's just something to be aware of. Now, I don't know if they're like this all over the country, but in my neck of the woods, the crow is telling you something. Interesting. It is. I, I don't know how anybody would prove any of that stuff, but it's just observation. Well, and I think I think that's what um, I think that's one of the the great values of interviews like this are is that you know if you listen to enough of them, there are definitely patterns that form. Mm -hmm. You you see a lot of similarities in a lot of people's experiences, but then you hear. And you pick up these little odd one-off type things. And you'll be like, well, that's the first time I've ever heard that. And then a year goes by and somebody brings it up again. Uh, point in, the point I'm getting at is um, I've had two, two interviews now, completely unrelated. Uh, they didn't know each other, different areas of the state. And they both, both of them brought up garlic, wild garlic. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's not something you hear of often. But no. when you start hearing things repeat themselves, it kind of, I start putting them in a file folder in the back of my brain. Yeah. And, you know, you start drawing on that. Mm-hmm. I bet if the, you know, Ojibwe Indians were here today, they'd probably have some interesting things to tell us. I would imagine. 
I think they kind of knew all whatever knew a lot about the subject. Um, maybe they were, maybe they were fearful of them. Maybe not. I don't know. But, um, now you reference them as the the wood ape. I think up by me they they say wood ape or jack pine gorilla. They have different names, but but I guess what I'm getting at by your using that as a reference are you are you more in in the camp that these are a a, a primate animal or are you are you more inclined to think that these things are something closer related to having uh, human characteristics all right well I have two different ideas about it when I, I when I see that when I see about three a year um, if I see them on all fours, I just think they're a skinny bear and they're running around. They go real fast and I don't think much of it. They look kind of goofy. Uh, they don't, I don't know. There's nothing that really, they, I mean, I'm interested, but when they're on their hinds, they look like people to me. Yeah. That's when they get me. They just, my you know, the hair on the back of my neck doesn't stand up when they're on all fours running along but when they're when they're standing up that just does something to me i don't know something archetypical in our in our past something but um, i think they're more i don't know they you know it goes back to me saying they have trails that they blaze mm-hmm. and when i'm in the woods and I'm, i want to go like to some lake five miles away and i think of how i'm going to do it I can I see it in my mind, you know, it's like a, a spatial image of the land and the creeks and the hills. And I pick a path that is, you know, the easiest path to get there. I don't have to climb so many hills. I can go through this valley. I don't have to go through the swamp. I go around it. And you know what? When I, when I'm doing something like that, they've, they've done the same path. They do it the same way I go. I've seen things that they do along the way. And they must have that spatial ability that we have to um, visualize the landscape and make these decisions. Because it's the, the way they go is the smartest way to go. And that in itself, it's, that in itself would re- would draw a correlation that they're e- either learning that from a, a very young age through. Yeah through communication mm-hmm. and experience. Mm-hmm. They're traveling with the adults. They're learning the lay of the land. They're hearing from others. They're learning. And if they get confused, they just need to look for the signs. Look for a white rock, a bent tree, a structure, uh, something that they put on the ground. They, they all, I don't know what those mean, but they know when they look at them. Have you ever challenged yourself while you were out there as far as um, being able to see just how far you could follow their sign? Um, I think you could follow it all the way down Georgia if you wanted to. I think you could follow it all. I mean, they, they really link up to power lines and railroad beds, even even old railroad beds that aren't in use anymore. Mm-hmm. They still use those. Um, I think it's, I don't know, the elders, if there's such a thing in that, in that culture, the elders must kind of 
map the, map the ways that the younger ones will travel. And my guess would be that would be through oral tradition. It must be. It must be. They they have beautiful voices. They mimic the sounds of a of a Saint Bernard or a <laughs> owl that sounds like a chicken after you hear it for a while, or uh, just some crazy dog sounds. Just crazy sounds. They, they're really good at it. Um, so I think, yeah, I think they've got something going on. Uh, I don't know if there's any aliens involved, but uh, they certainly do like to eat and uh, run around and stay comfortable. So tell us about some other experiences you've had. Well, I was just thinking about this experience I had last summer. I was uh, staying in the middle of the road. looking. I'm looking down the road about 100 yards, and this bear comes out. And I'm looking at this bear, and this bear's looking at me. And I'm looking at this bear, and I'm like, man, this bear isn't going to make it. It's it's June. It looks horrible. It does, it's not shiny like a bear is usually. Uh, it's got no stomach. It's just skinny as can be in the stomach. But the legs, all, all four legs are really strong. And it's looking at me. I'm looking at it. We're just looking at each other. Then he goes across the road, goes off in the woods, you know, like, like oh, what a sorry-looking bear, <laughs> you know, and then I'm thinking, yeah, I see that, see that sorry-looking bear every year. And then one of my uh, good friends uh, a couple of weeks ago is driving down the road, and this guy lived in Alaska for years, haunted bear, and, well, bear were hunting him, and he had to shoot the bear because he lived in a totally secluded will vast wilderness and he was a he was seen as a getting in the way of whatever the bear wanted to do so he he saw a bear come out about 20 feet away from him came out in the road turned around when it saw him and ran back into the woods and he said you know that was the skinniest bear I said, oh, Jesus, that's, ah, oh, that's not a bear. Oh, that's just not a bear. They don't come out and go back in the woods, first of all. They're not skinny. They're shiny, and they're fat. And it was it was July. They're fat in July. So right, he, he said, you know where I saw it? And I, uh, no, got the guess, right? We're all the Bigfoot across the road. Yep. Right. Not a bear. I just don't <laughs> think it's a bear. It's, that's, it's the skinny bear. So sometimes I think they pretend not to be Bigfoot. And I think a lot of people have seen skinny bears. Do you think do you think that they're pretending not to be or or do you think that because you know in conversations with uh, Robert Kreider from down in New yeah. Mexico uh, who who has some amazing uh, experiences and 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 does a, a, an incredible job with his uh, detailing his his accounts of of the the family groups that he has down there in new mexico um he seems to he seems to think that they uh, they they take to all fours because it's easier for them to walk on the on the sides of their feet and on the sides of the palms of their hands so that they're not leaving a distinctive track 
Yeah, yeah. He's probably right about that. I think that given our, you know, the, the density of the forest, I go to areas that if you were, if you're four foot tall, you'd be great in there. You could go through everything. But if you're standing up and you're six feet tall, you got troubles. And I think they, I think they're on all fours, especially in that country. Now, and, in now in your first account, that, I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the first account you were talking about, you said the, the individual that was across from you um, was was pretty sizable. Yeah. Um, but then you, I think now twice you've spoke about these being um, on the skinnier side. You know, now <laughs> you listen to some other podcasts and, you know, some of these that just specialize only in, in Bigfoot stories and everything's always, you know, seven and a half to eight foot tall six foot wide, four foot to six foot wide shoulders, seven to 800 pounds, you know, built like a, a, a linebacker for a, a pro yeah. team. Um, but I'm getting a different, I'm getting a different sense from, from some of what you're talking about. Is, this is what I, this is what I think of the difference that I think if they stood up, you, you don't really have the size of them, right? When you see them on all fours, you don't really, get the size and they you know a bear on all fours they their belly almost touches the ground sometimes yeah you know these guys are well they're ripped you know they have a they have a muscular build um they got six pack abs i think uh if they i suppose if it stood up it'd be like seven foot tall you go man that thing's huge because their legs are massive looking when they're on all fours you just, oh man, the legs are big. I look, the front legs and the back leg are great looking. Face, the head, I don't know about the head. It doesn't look quite right, but they um, they sure don't have a belly. But if they stood up, I think, oh, my God, they're quite big, quite large. But I did see one last summer that was a little tiny, skinny guy in the middle of the day, and he must have weighed about 70 pounds. And scared the heck right out of me. Seventy but, pounds? Um, yeah, just a kid. Just a kid running through running through the brush. Uh, just going somewhere in a hurry. Uh, just looked like he crossed the crossed the river and was coming up the bank and he had places to go and he didn't even look at me. It was just going. You know that that strikes me that and I wanted to ask you about this earlier and uh, I'm I'm glad you brought it up. Um the gentleman I interviewed from uh, Jackson County had uh, had had several on his property for you know an upwards of thirty years, oh, and yeah. uh, he spoke about the the young ones and how um, very seldom that the the young ones were seen. And um, one of the things he said is he he felt that the the youth, the young ones, um, spend the majority of their time arboreal in the trees. Mm-hmm. Have you come across any? any? Yeah, I did. Um, I came across one in a tree. It was a young one. Uh, probably, probably the same one. Probably the same one. I was on the, the bank of the, the beaver pond with... The, the track I came across, probably that one. He was in a tree. He was about 100 yards away. And I never would have seen him, except when he saw me. He was up there about 20 feet. He just came out of that tree. like a, He just 
sticks fell. He was, I terrified the poor guy or girl. I don't know what gender it was, but it came out of that tree so fast, hit the ground on all fours, and it was gone. Did it leave on all fours? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Scared the heck out of me. It it didn't, uh, maybe it was up there just sleeping, but there was a, there's a great apple tree and I was going to go check this apple tree, uh, to see when the apples were going to get ripe. He was beyond it about a hundred yards. I think he got all the apples because, uh, two days later there was not one apple <laughs> in the tree. It's like, oh man, opportunists. Now with the but, ones uh, that you've seen that you've, you've encountered, are they all pre- pretty much the same color? Are they all? No, 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 they're not. No. Uh, the little kid I saw, his face was hairy. He had a hairy face. He was reddish. He was reddish brown. So some are reddish brown. Some are real dark. Um, but I guess people have seen them that were gray here. Um, so yep, they're, but they're not shiny like bear. Not much shine. They're kind of nappy. And I, I do collect a lot of hair samples. They, when they leave their marks, they leave hair. Yeah. And I think they leave a scent, but I can't smell it. Now, I realize I, I, having hair analyzed uh, for the DNA and everything is uh, extremely expensive. So I would guess that with any of your samples, you've not personally had anything tested, but... Have you have you sent them to anybody else who um, showed any interest in, in possibly yeah. analyzing them? I, I give them I give hairs to people all the time, and then a few people had looked at them in a microscope and said, reported back that oh, those are just human they're human hairs. Like really crazy. Um, they they never got a haircut because uh you know the. The hair was never cut by a pair of scissors. Yeah. It just goes to a point. So they, they say, yeah, this looks like human hair. Like, oh, cool. But they, I did, you know, I had one, something funny happen. I was coyote hunting, probably where I shouldn't have been, but I was sitting up in, it was, I don't know, February or, or mid-March maybe, and I'm sitting at the spot um, by uh, a tree and sat there maybe a couple of hours and I got up and left, and I'm going back there the next day. It's about three miles hike. I go back there, and I look, and the tree is all gouged up. In the ground, where I was sitting, it's like something sat there and rubbed all the grass down to nothing. And there were hairs all over. I thought, man, it's like uh, they scented me, they smelled me, and they covered me up with their scent. Huh. Uh, you know, it's like, that's kind of like a bear would do it, something like that. But uh, it, I, I have samples of the marks they make. Uh, it's it's not a bear claw. I have bear claws and my collection of things. And Would you be willing to share some uh, some photographs of some of the evidence that you've collected so I can yeah. Uh, yeah, share, we'll share it with the listeners? Yeah, I'll do that. I will I'll send you. I have a lot of neat pictures of things. And maybe... Um, by showing those pictures, people could look for that kind of that stuff around them. Yes. If if they have the same characteristics or traits, be kind of interesting to know. Yeah, it would be. Uh, 
yeah, like like I said, I don't I don't know if they make these marks all over the country, but in the state of Michigan, it seems like they make similar marks and mark their trails the same way. So, well, it, it sure it sure seems that there is some consistency with uh, with some of the things like structures and stuff like that. You know, I mean. Yes, you know, people can go out into the woods and they can produce these things. Um, but when you see when you see one that has a, an organicness to it, when you see a structure that a, a teepee that has been put together with um, all of the branches having the the same twist or the same um, the same angle of of bend, and they're all lined up the same way, nothing's nothing seems to be just haphazard about it uh, no they're really they're really interesting they are very organic and i you know there's a the artist the sculptor martin purrier they remind me of something martin purrier would have made uh, from his studies in sub-saharan africa just, they're really just beautiful and i i have pictures of those um and i'll send some along yeah that, they, that'd be great if we could share some of those yeah, they. You don't know why they. Some of the things that look like they're made by kids, uh, you know, it just looks like they're playing around. But well, they're learning. Just, they're, they're learning. learning. They're, they're imitating the uh, the adults, just yep, like we yep. do when we're children. <laughs> yep, yep. They are. They do that. And I did find I was uh, maybe it was about two months ago or a month ago, something like that. I was, I was. Uh, hiking in an area where they're, they're, they're pretty, pretty, um, a lot of activity, I should say. And has been for years in this area. And I got, I got zapped in this area one time. I don't know if I, anybody believes that, but it's my only explanation for it. But I, there was a, there's a, there was a beaver pond and I, it, it run out of water. The water all dried up out of it. It was real dry this spring and early summer. And in the middle of the beaver pond, there's uh, it, 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 it's just like a little bump out there. Beaver pond, pond probably only had about two feet of water in it at the max, but the water was gone now. There's a, a stone tool laying in the pond. Like somebody had thrown it in the pond and it settled on this little bump on the bottom and it it doesn't look old it doesn't look like an Indian artifact it looks like an exaggerated Indian artifact it's like a Indian scraper or a finger knife something like that only you know five times the size very very rudimentary napping edges on it it wasn't made out of flint it was made out of some kind of rock I thought that is crazy. That is doesn't make any sense to me. That why I found this, you know. Yeah. Who? Nope. There's no people around. There just there are no people there. There are just wilderness with no roads, nothing. Like that's just an interesting thing. I wonder if they use tools. I know they throw rocks. Cause I've had rocks thrown at mm-hmm. me, but I'm so. Maybe they maybe they make something out of rocks. You know, that's been something that throughout the course of of the time I've been doing these interviews, um, I've I've been very well. Not even myself doing the interviews, but also listening to you know an inordinate amount of um, 
other shows that that deal with people and and their experiences and stuff and and the one well two things actually that seem to be lacking um throughout a lot of encounters are witnessing the use of tools yeah and also you know my thoughts are would they would they have the ability to use fire i wonder about that too I totally wonder. I don't know if they ever get cold enough, but I wonder. I think in that excellent book, uh, Historical Bigfoot, mm-hmm. there are some old accounts yeah. in the Pacific Northwest of them making a fire. But I don't know. But that's interesting that you're you're finding a, a tool that that it's looks a, like it had actually been tooled down to having a, yeah. a, a sharp edge what did what did, did you do anything with that i have it i, I have it i just do thought you? it was a interesting rock i didn't think it was anything american indian because yeah. it just didn't wasn't made out of the right stuff it just you know it's, it's real rudimentary but it's also for a really big hand and it has a, a working edge on it i'd be very interested in seeing that yeah, I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. It's pretty cool. Put a little measuring stick next to it, and you can see it. So, um, I just, I really just, you know, I love, I think I love the Bigfoot around here. Um, I just, I hope nothing horrible ever happens to them. I hope hunters don't point their rifles at them mm-hmm. or ever do anything like that. Uh, they can be awful scary, but um, I deserve to get chased out. Uh, it's kind of a one-way street with them. You they can come into my yard and they do they come into my yard at night and they smell horrible but i can't go into their yard you know <laughs> they can come over and play around and get in my compost pile and uh you know it's just they're they're funny they're funny like that they they only like us if they're the ones initiating uh the contact or something they yeah. they don't like it the other way have you ever had any kind of an experience where you felt that you were being um, welcomed? Uh, uh, I did only one time. Can when you tell I told me about you, it? I saw the I saw the guy that, that yelled at me in the woods. I started bringing him apples. Because someone said, "Hey, you feed up some apples." Okay, I feed him some ap- apples. I go out and give him, uh, you know, a dozen apples or something. <laughs> And uh, I'd go out like every week and get them apples. And then one day, I'm, I like I miss a week or something. I don't know. I just wasn't there. I jump in my truck, and I usually didn't take my truck. I just hike out, jump in my truck, go out to give them some apples. And I'm driving down the road, and about 300 yards away, I see that that big dark guy standing there. Waiting, I think he's waiting for some apples. <laughs> and I gotta get closer, and he takes off. It's like, oh my god, they're waiting for the apples. They may have, they may have spoiled them, or something. Yeah, I don't know. But I did leave a rubber ball with the apples. I left a racquetball ball, which are kind of fun to play with. Mm-hmm. I left it in with the apples. They didn't touch that thing. The apples are gone. They didn't touch it. Really? God, they just wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's funny, and that this is in their nest. You know, this is kind of right on. The, this is their nest. I'm on the edge of it. 
I go there one morning with the apples, and I see a bear has come down this two-track that borders the nest. And that bear did not, didn't even get near the apples. Like, man, the Bigfoot must really have the bear trained well to not eat their apples. Huh. Just, they just saw the trail, like, the bear just kept going. Didn't stop, didn't even look. Like, these are good apples. You know, I can't, I can't imagine why the bear didn't stop and eat all the apples. But, I don't know, there's just some funny things out there, funny anomalies. What's, with our, what's the most perplexing thing that you've you've run into out there? The one uh, the one thing that just sent your mind spinning and, and you have no idea how to wrap your head around it. I I I have one thing. I don't know, I'm not gonna I don't know if I should ever tell it. It's way too crazy. It's uh This is a place I'm, to I'm do just, it. Ah, yeah. I I was I'd kinda tell you. But I, it's a kooky story. I don't know how to feel about it, but I was coming along and it was fall, beautiful day in October. And I'm coming along in my car and I stop at a vista overlooking a part of one of these rivers up north. And I get out of the car and I'm standing on the bank and I look across the river. And I see this crazy-looking guy standing on the other side of the river. And he's got a fishing pole. And he's fishing. But fishing season is over. Well, I, maybe he can still fish there legal if he throws it back. But, um, but he's fishing in the spot. And I'm thinking, how in the world did he get to the spot? Because the spot he's in is part of the nest. And it is... There's no, there's no roads going to it. There's, you can't even walk in there. It's so thick. And he's got a blue down jacket on in October. And he's got a hat on. And he's fishing, but he's not doesn't know how to fish. He's doing something really wrong with this little kid's fishing pole. What? And I'm looking across, and I look, like, how did he get here? There's a boat down that part of the river. I look, 800 yards to the to the west no boat look 800 yards it's not a bend to the east no boat how did he get there and I look at him I go hey there and I wave at him doesn't look up just like a just standing there I can't see him very well because he's got a hat on he's not he's just strange just standing there it's like okay I'm gonna go down to where uh, the the hairy guys cross. There's a spot where they cross the river right there. And I go down there, gone like three minutes. Come up, the guy's gone. He's gone. He's got this bright blue, puffy down jacket on that you cannot wear in that woods. Yeah. You'd be you'd be a big fuzzball <laughs> if you were in there. I, like, where did he go? I'm running on that bank on the other side, looking. I I can't find him. I, I got a bit weird feeling, like, and so I asked one of my buddies who lives real close to lots of the action, and I said, uh, do you ever, one of my buddies has seen him quite a few times, and he said, I said, do you think that they can wear human clothes? He says, oh, yes. 
really? Oh, I've never heard. I guess I've heard of it a little bit, but I was wondering if this one of the kids. I've heard. I've heard of it in one of the. I've heard it in, of it in one of the the old historic accounts. I did too. That's where I read it. Yeah. Somebody had rags tied all over them. Yeah. Running through the swamps of Indiana or something. But I just, like, that was just the craziest thing. So, yeah, my buddy who doesn't live far away, I said, I saw a fisherman on the other side of the river right there. He looked at me and said, how did you get there? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. He didn't have a boat, had a down jacket on, looked real funny, could not see his face. Just couldn't just couldn't figure it out. So that's my that's my crazy story. Well, you know, I'm I'm going to piggyback on that, and I'm going to say something to you that uh, there's a there's a person that I'm I'm trying desperately uh, to to get to come on the show, and this person had an experience that, and and I think I think that this plays into you know how. Many people say these these things can cloak and they can, you know, basically just go invisible and stuff like that. And you start getting into the woo aspects of of all this. But this person, very normal person, very normal. Um, while in the area of one of these things, experienced the the environment that they were in. I have to be really careful how I say this. The, the way the environment appeared seemed to change. And I almost wonder that, you know, frequency, frequency and vibration are, are things that we are very susceptible to. Mm-hmm. And if frequencies are changed enough into the right lower lower ranges that we cannot mm-hmm. perceive with our ears, they can cause distortions in vision. Oh, yes. And I almost wonder, you know, and, and this is crazy talk, but if something was adept at changing frequency or producing a, a frequency that, that affects our visual acuity. Could something make us see something that wasn't there? It's possible. I told you, I said one time I got zapped and I didn't know what zapped was, but I got zapped. I was on a dirt bike with my buddy he was quite a bit behind me and uh there's a trail back in the forest that that was closed off but not by the dnr the forest service it was closed off by the bigfoot they they've done that i've seen it all my life they'll take a two track and they'll bend all the trees down so you can't get through and they do it for a hundred yards maybe 200 yards so i thought well i'm gonna ride my ktm back in there, my dirt bike, and I'm going to see what's going on. New darn, new darn well, probably shouldn't do that, but I did it. It's about five or six years ago. And I got back in there, I could not get out. I could not figure out how to get out. I could not, I did not have the strength to turn my bike around. I couldn't move my bike. 
I was stuck. And my my buddy, Eric, came up behind me. And I said, Eric, I can't get out of here. I'm stuck. you got to turn my bike around. And he, he did not experience what I did. I was way ahead of him. But he turned my bike around and got it out of there. And I had to go out on this two-track that was open and sit down. Like, well, I was not right. But when I, when I, I don't know what I saw in there. I just knew I was, I was finished. I was incapacitated, but I got on the bike. I felt a lot better when I got out of there. So my, my brother has a infrasound detector that he has on a phone Mm -hmm. and it picks it up. It's like crazy when you're, you're in the area, you'll, you'll get big spikes. Really? you can pick it up. It's like, I don't know. That's, that's what you're talking about. That change in the frequency. Yeah. yeah. Infrasound, which has an effect on us. I, I, I've always been careful about going down closed off trails ever since that, because, uh, well, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about that aspect of it. And, and I get that, but I think when you, when you avoid that, when you refuse to talk about it, when you refuse to acknowledge the the possibility that something like that can occur, I think you're you're limiting your, you know, because like so throughout throughout the, all of all of my listening, all of my reading, all of my watching, all of my conversations, all of my interviews, I put together this this puzzle in in my own head that like I said before, you know, you have, I have these file folders in the back of my head that, uh, I stick things in. And a lot of times I don't think about them for a long time. And then all of a sudden somebody says something that's like, Oh yeah, I remember something like that from this. Um, so I think if you ignore and, and overlook any of those aspects, those, those woo aspects, I think, I think you're doing yourself a disservice because, Oh yeah. We don't know. And no, we don't know, and it's kind of a warning too. Uh, you know, if you start feeling lightheaded and you're in some spot, get out of there. Yeah. You know, don't hang. I don't know what would have happened if my my buddy wasn't there. I don't know what would have happened to me. I would I would have had to take a long nap right there. Um, I wouldn't have made it out with my bike. Yeah. So it was a long walk back. So I guess I know what people are talking about when it happens, but. Well, some, I, some aspect of these these guys that uh, you know. Do you remember any um, during that encounter? Do you remember any feeling of like an electrical tingle? I don't know. I was riding a dirt bike. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but I did, I just, I don't know. I felt like kind of like a, a dread, you know, more of yeah. just a dread. Like, oh, I've, I've had it. I can't, I can't, I can't turn the spike around. I can't, I have no strength. I, I just, I don't know. It's a crazy, it was a crazy helpless feeling. And uh, so I knew that I've always kept that spot in my mind, in my file cabinet. Yeah. That, that is a spot to just don't go in. Just let them have it. That's theirs. Uh, 
I think, you know, I owe people go, people ask me, how would I go see Bigfoot? Like, well, I'm, first of all, I'm not going to tell you where they are really. Uh, cause I want them to be left in peace and they, they know where I live. So I, I don't try to do anything too crazy because they'll probably just come over to my house, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they'll, they'll do it in the craziest hours. Uh, but I always say, well, you, you know, I'm many times out there just with my swim trunks on, no shoes, carrying a diving mask, um, and I'm by myself. And that's the best way you can see one. If you have another person with you, I think you're limited. Yeah. I don't think they'll, they'll only, they only see them if they want you to. Um, do you, and do you think I, in your experience that you are much better off to just go about doing your thing or when you are in a when you're in a mode where you're trying to seek them out and, and you're doing specific things like tree knocks or um, doing whoops or calls in the woods, do you think it's better to just be you and and engage in what it is you're you're doing and and then they become interested and that that, that attracts them? I, I don't know if there's a new rule. I did I did a tree knock once. When I was with a researcher, I took him out and showed him this great spot. And I did a, nothing was happening. And I, the only time I ever did a tree knock was this one time. And I did it. I've heard him a lot, but I just, I guess it, maybe I don't believe in all that. But when I did it, I waited about five minutes and I heard the goofiest owl sounds. And three out, there were three of us. There were three owls. And I kind of thought they were getting in behind us. Uh, and I, I like, okay, it's time to bug out. I don't like where the owls are going. Yeah. They're cutting us off from my retreat, but um, I don't usually do anything. I don't usually make a sound. Uh, I don't make any sounds hardly. Sometimes maybe when I'm calling coyotes, I, there's some noise, but I, I don't know. They just, they don't really want to engage. I'll tell you, I, I used to take chalk with me and I draw pictures on things for them and I'd leave them a piece of chalk thinking that they might like pick it up and draw. Yeah. They never picked it up. <laughs> they never drew. One time one of them rubbed the drawing away. <laughs> like, oh, that's how they feel about it. <laughs> so I was a better drawer. I thought I drew better than that. A Sasquatch commentary on your artistic ability. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. They just critique my work. Not good enough. <laughs> just, just stuff you think about out there, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, but I, have, I probably have way more stories than this, but I, I don't know. I can't always think of them all. Um, well, I think you've you've done a great job with uh, what you brought to the table tonight. So I want to thank you. Uh, I, I want to thank you for taking the opportunity to engage us and, and let us know some of the things that you've come across. Yeah, it's my been pleasure. A, good, good talking to you, Eric. It's been an absolute pleasure, Thanks. sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate and, it. Uh, stay in touch and uh let's let's keep this going okay we can there'll be more stories i'm always out there doing something something i shouldn't be doing maybe anyway (laughs) all right (laughs) don't straighten me out all right thanks man take it easy i appreciate you thank you (laughs) all right bye good night i want to hear your story i want to hear your experience so email me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com If you enjoy the show then leave us a rating and a review on iTunes Share the show with your friends Share the show on social media Make sure to like us on Facebook 
and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. All at Uncomfortable Podcast. And until next week, my friends, stay uncomfortable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.